study New York Yeah, study this! what's going on everyone welcome to the forbidden technique podcast talking some mma as always um last weekend's card was looking pretty good on paper and it was like one of the most stupidly violent things i've ever seen so that was cool um and then we've actually got another pretty good card coming up this week um might only really have time to get into the top couple fights on that, but the main card is looking okay. Got a Songy Dong versus Chris Gutierrez. Bang a fight in the Bantamweight division. Kind of thing I like to see as a fight night main event in between two big cards. So let's just get right on into this uh, UFC fight night. Benil Darius versus Armin Sarukian. Um, Armin Sarukian just fucking donked Benny in a minute. Um, that's kind of the just just the way that Benil Darius tends to lose. I think I've probably been slightly underrating the development in Armin Sarukian's striking over his last few fights. He's been looking more creative and more dangerous. And you know, this was a one-minute fight. Not a huge amount to take away from that, except that uh, Armin Sarukian was still really active with um, keeping up a solid volume of jabs against a southpaw. And he just rolled up to someone who's dramatically slower than him and put together a really dynamic combination that uh, just uh, ended Benny's life instantly. It was kind of a... He just threw a big right hand that what wasn't really even intended to land. I don't think it was mostly just to grab the collar tie to then show the knee and um, then just blast the right hand as he was stomping his foot back down. Just uh, caught Benny cold and chinned him. Don't know what you really take away from that. It's honestly, I kind of thought was going to be his most uh, likely chance of pulling out a convincing win. And in that way, it's kind of, kind of the least impressive way that you can beat Benil Darius just like bonk him in a minute um you know I, I didn't actually mean anything when Alex Hernandez did it in the, in the long run this is something you kind of touched on last week is it's it can be kind of difficult to assess when someone like Benil Darius is falling off when on the one hand he's been having these really great performances where he's looked uh the best he has at any point in his career but then at the same time, if you've got someone who's kind of slow and has never had an amazing chin, it can be a little bit difficult to assess if they're getting slower and chinnier or if they just got knocked out by someone who they could have got knocked out by in their prime. What do you think? I, I, I just think like he's, uh, he's so, it, it's just not surprising at all, but I think it does teach us something that we needed confirmed by it being like a real pattern because the Ramsey Nijum knockout was a long enough time ago to where you can't count it against him anymore but all of his other three knockout losses you can 
so now that he's been knocked out uh, four times by someone just kind of waxing him in the first round, I, I think he just doesn't like whenever someone's got horsepower. And uh, I, I was thinking it like right after the knockout, but I heard Bisping say something like, oh, it's crazy how athletic Armin has to be to be able to get that type of power wall in one leg. Disregarding that it's just a Superman punch. Like he showed the knee as much as you can before doing it, but it's he he twisted his body really hard by kicking his leg back. So that made the right hand really fucking powerful. It wasn't just, oh, look at how athletic he is to punch on one hand or, or on one leg. Like th- like that was the most sincere knockout you can get with a, a Superman punch, because normally people just do it in place of whatever. Uh, like they'll be like, oh well, I need to throw a punch that covers distance. Let me Superman punch. But this one didn't even really cover distance; it just uh, cut off an exit. So, yeah, I think also a lot of people don't understand what others are saying when they say Benil Darius is slow because they'll see parts where Benil throws a, a really fast punch, like the one that dropped Gamrot, and think that means that he's fast, disregarding that every single time someone faints at him, he looks slow as fuck. Like if you show any moves that he has to respect, you're, you're gonna make him look slow because he has slow defense that's where his his speed deficit shows the most in all of his fights yeah it was exactly what you said last week it's when he's reacting that you really see the speed difference between someone like Benil Dariush who uh, is as we've said is nowhere near as bad of as an, uh, an athlete as a lot of people have made him out to be over the years but he's not a top tier elite athlete like Armin Sarukian. Yeah, he's got quick hands, quick legs, like the the time it takes his leg to reach the target from the load up is fast if he's throwing a kick. But anytime he slips, shit's slow as fuck. Anytime he he like pulls out of the way of a shot, incredibly slow. He's super easy to catch with like a, a nice one one two because the the first one gets him to pull back, the second one gets him to commit to his rear foot. And then the, then the third one you just fucking cream him. You know? He he has defensive liabilities on the feet that are he's not insulated by speed at all with, unlike most fighters that are elite in MMA. Uh, but you know we didn't get to see any grappling. There wasn't really like anything else to take away from the fight other than Armin is a smart enough strategist to to go up and just knock out a guy who that's the the most reliable strategy of. Yeah, well, and as much as that being the play, I think Armin's just been really trying to put on a show lately. I th- I genuinely think he's like trying to get big, impressive-looking wins because uh, he hasn't really been respected by the matchmaking. Yeah, and you know, Bobby Green called him boring, so he's he's like pissed off now. He's like, "I'm not boring. I'm cool. I'm a good fighter. Stop bullying me, guys." Yeah, so I guess moving on, uh, Bobby Green got knocked the fuck out by Jalen Turner. Uh, before we even talk about this fight, we just got to get it out of the way. I think this is maybe the worst stoppage I've ever seen in like modern mainstream MMA. It was genuinely fucking despicable and Carrie Hatley should be fired immediately because what, what in the fuck do you need to see? It was a probably close to 20 unanswered punches, a good three or four of which were while Bobby was completely unconscious face down on the mat. What in the... Getting his head pounded in. Like, the visual of it was fucking nuts. I think there's probably been worse stoppages on amount of time between needing to be stopped and 
the stoppage actually coming, but on like ferocity of the like the visual for it, where Jalen Turner's winding his arm all the way behind him and then blasting him in the head and like slamming his head between the the floor and his fist. That shit was gross. Wasn't as prolonged as something like Yan Aldo, but that's only because Bobby Green got like actually fucking murdered. He not he got knocked out clean on the feet. Like that's a walk off KO if he if he just didn't follow up no 100 percent. you know bobby green he's been put out a couple times and both times he was he's straight back up like oh man i got knocked out that shit was crazy and this one you know this this should have been that this should have been a tko where he gets up and he's fine and instead this was a hideous knockout where he was face down for a while honestly like i i genuinely try not to be too overly critical of officiating and refereeing because like shit, shit's hard. You have to make I- I- extremely quick decisions, and like I don't know what it's like there in the moment. I'm sure it's not an e- as a- as easy a job as a lot of the people who just give refs shit for every little mistake they make think it is. But fuck Carrie Hadley, seriously, fuck that guy. He should be ashamed of himself. He should not be allowed to ref fights anymore. That re- this really pissed me off. I think it'd be one thing if it was a regional fight where the ref is inexperienced, but Gary Hatley is a, a known referee, you know, like people, he's on a lot of UFC broadcasts. No excuse for him to be that fucking slow. He's been around for a while. He's a respected, experienced referee at this level. What do, what do you fucking need to see, my dude? Um, anyway, so... Um, Last week when I asked if it was bad analysis if Bobby Green was going to just get, like, lank bullied. Um, kind of not really. <laughs> it's kind of what yeah. happened. Cause it's, and also, it, it's not even that... I also thought that Bobby Green was going to be having to do a lot more work to get into range uh, against Jalen Turner. Not the case at all. He actually could hit Jalen Turner kind of whenever he wanted. He had a good strategy for Dan Hooker. Although this kind of makes me think he also would have just gotten knocked out by Dan Hooker. But it's more just the fact that like repeatedly engaging the pocket with Jalen Turner and relying on your reactions and slick head movement to get the fuck back out of the way is... That's just real hard. Like, and if you're 37, at some point you're probably gonna zig when you should have zagged, and you're gonna get fucking dunked by someone like Jalen Turner. And here's the thing: with the shot that started it, it was just a long right hand behind the ear. It was exactly the kind of shot that if Jalen Turner just had like four inches shorter arms, it would have like just grazed Bobby, and he would have been absolutely fine. And then he would have dusted off his shoulder and gone back to looking cool. And instead, it is totally fucked up as equilibrium. He immediately takes another big right hand, and that should have been it. It was a gorgeous one-one too. He, uh, like, it was like a textbook counter to the type of defense that Bobby likes to do, where you know it's very exaggerated. You you overcommit to defending kind of minor shots, and you're trying to be perfect with your defense, but getting yourself hit because of it. Uh, like something that Bobby Green's always been very good at is evading the very first shot, but pretty much anytime you throw more than two punches in a combination, he's going to get hit by one of them pretty clean. And then act as if he defended it. Uh, or, or occasionally actually defend it, but this was just like Turner's too good at, at following up on a, like having a good read with his, his jab. Like he, he's got a good uh, 
left hook off his jab. He's got good body work off his jab. Uh, he, he just had so many options for how to eventually track down Bobby's head and, and knock him out like he did. But I actually have a slightly different thought about the Dan Hooker fight. I think Dan Hooker would get brought to uh, the trenches against Bobby Green now that, that I saw how he was handling Jalen Turner because he probably would be uh, outspeeding Dan Hooker pretty noticeably. And, uh, you know, Hooker's long, but he's he's not nearly as long and he doesn't really fight as long every time. Uh, and also, if he's going on the front foot against Bobby's nose, is probably getting ruined even if he's winning comfortably. Oh, I'm not saying that Dan Hooker wouldn't have also gotten hit a ton. Yeah, I, I think it just would have been uh, like an attrition finish were it by, by either guy were the, the fight to have been made. Now I think Dan Hooker just completely knocks Bobby Green out with like a jab because Bobby Green got knocked out so fucking viciously for like three minutes uh, while unconscious. Yeah, um, genuinely the kind of shit that is maybe going to be taking like years off of Bobby's career if not just making him you know he he might look just fine and like Bobby Green in his next couple of fights but you take that kind of damage particularly after you've already been put out at that point in your career you, like there's a point where that shit just takes something from you that you can't get back and it just becomes easier to finish you every time you get hit yeah, and it's not a slight on Bobby as like a person or on his toughness, but l- literally anyone is going to be a little tentative their next fight after. So I could see him just kind of not being the same fighter anymore off of the mental shit of dealing with he's been knocked out two in his last three or something. And one of them was fucking vicious. Or actually, both of them were kind of vicious. I mean, the Drew Dober one was pretty brutal. It was just like the fact that he... He was kind of, yeah, he was kind of just clean out and didn't get too badly coffin nailed, and he was pretty much back up and lucid immediately. Whereas he but this looking- one he suffered the consequences of wow, my style does not insulate me from a uh, like the refs just killing me. So on to actually a much less depressing fight, uh, one that genuinely shocked me. Davison Figueredo went up to bantamweight and had every imaginable benefit you would possibly want for someone going up to a new weight class in a way that you I just did not expect to work out for Davison Figueredo at 35 with how inconsistent his last few fights have been and how much his physicality seemed to kind of drop off overnight no he just cut 10 pounds less weight and he looked fast as shit. He looked strong as shit. His chin looked the best it's ever looked. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you're saying. Um, and the devil's advocate argument for it is Rob Font also did not look very good. But I think it's a good combination of Rob Font losing to everything he's always lost to and also looking like he's kind of running out of ideas on the front foot because he's just generally very rote and the things he was trying were getting shut down or punched very heavily. Well, but that's the thing. We totally laid out how Davison Figueredo could win this fight if all of that stuff was going okay for him, which we just didn't expect it to. You know, Rob Font could be looking not great and still just absolutely murder, a, you know, a, a faded tentative Davison Figueredo who has no chin. <laughs> like, yeah, and uh, it's it's just very strange that Font has lost the same fight pretty much to 
the three dudes. Like he, Asuncao beat his ass by being a good counterpuncher and limiting his volume. Aldo did the exact same thing, and then Figueredo did the exact same thing. And for some reason, Corey Sandhagen had to wrestle him. Yeah, because Corey Sandhagen but, is a coward and a traitor. He's he's not uh, explosive, I guess. I mean, uh, you don't really think about how far Asuncao was explosive, but he's got a good cross counter and he's stocky and annoying to jab. He has a, a really fast counter right hand. He um, does. He is fast, and he's and he well, was a fantastic top player uh, as well. Um, whereas Figueredo was getting a ton of takedowns. Rob Font would just get up from all of them, but it was still something that he had to think about. Yeah, it definitely affected his uh, like his ability to to lead because past the first round. Every single time Figueredo would try and go sideways to, to get out of the way of a, a straightforward blitz, Font would just kind of let it trail off and not really try and pursue him or, or you know regain positioning to where he's still in range. He would he got like Holly Holm Ronda Rousey a bit where anytime his opponent would go sideways, he was like, Oh well, I guess I'm fucked and I gotta stop the combination now. Yeah, and you know, we just saw this old Rob Font. He can be making rounds really close or even winning them by just putting out numbers. But it only takes one of those really wrote pre-selected leading combinations being figured out each round at some point to just land one absolutely just earth-shattering counter on him that just shocks the shit out of him and puts him on chicken legs and just instantly undoes all of the good work that he did that round. Yeah, and... uh this is a bit of like Wikipedia analysis, but like Rob Font is, he's like one in his last four or his last five. Uh, and, and against all elite fighters, all of his losses are decisions, but like the one step back he's gotten in that entire run, he knocks the guy out in a minute. So I feel like that was making people think that he was less far gone than he actually is. Uh, Cause I would think, you know, 32 year old Rob, or not 32 because he, he kind of had a peak like three years ago or something. But, uh, you know, when he was a little bit younger, I think that he kind of still would beat the shit out of uh, Figueredo because he had Figueredo looked good, but he also, you can still tell he's a little like he's not as sharp as he used to be. Uh, no one's got yeah. five. And Rob Font used to have a pretty crazy chin until like the last couple of years. Yeah. He's always been someone that could get. Uh, pushed out of a fight by power, but uh, there's a reason that there's other fighters that hit hard that he's beaten the shit out of. There's still a base level of uh, defensive and counter-punching craft that you have to have to be able to implement that kind of fight against Rob Font, because even if you hit hard as shit, as we've seen quite a few times, it is an extremely dangerous proposition to just invite 50-50 exchanges with Rob Font. Like you, you can't just go in there and try to outpunch the guy. You've got to actually figure him out. And uh, prior to that, uh, Kelvin Gastelum got his fucking ass beaten by Sean Brady on the feet and in the grappling, and then got submitted. I'm so glad I didn't pick Kelvin Gastelum. <laughs> you should just. There's a certain point of like career momentum and trajectory that you should just where the sound effects like barely. Yeah, you should just ignore any kind of stylistic elements or any kind of 
like, oh well, if this guy looks good, <laughs> like, 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 like yeah. any any hope that that guy is ever going to be back. You know, at this point, it's like picking like Darren Till to win a fight. You know, yeah, you you just can't pick someone that's growing a depression beard in their mid thirties to to come back from like a, a bad series of losses. And that's kind of it. Also, his only win in his last like eight fights is. Um, Ian Heinish. Like the Chris Curtis one is a robbery and also he headbutted him. So Yeah, but look at those two dudes. How is a headbutt not gonna happen at some point? Yeah. I mean th- th- like that makes sense. But also like he didn't get punished for the, the headbutt at all and it affected uh affected the fight pretty heavily. So Calvin Gaslam just he is not good right now. So people are saying, Oh my god, Sean Brady's back. Yeah, he's back. I mean he looked good. Uh, I don't think he looked bad at all. Like I don't think he looks regressed at uh in the slightest since his layoff, but he's back enough to beat the distant memory of Kelvin Gastelum. But like, do you think he wouldn't still get outclassed and finished by Bilal? Remember the name Muhammad? Oh no, I think I think Sean Brady's ceiling is exactly as high as I previously thought it was. Uh, I just know that his floor is also higher than I thought it was. So, because I figured if Sean Brady looks bad, he might lose to this Kelvin Gastelum. But honestly, I think he could have looked like shit and still won. Because Calvin looked like ass. Yeah. He just so happened to also have a good performance and then make it look even more lopsided than it already was off momentum. Kelvin made weight, though. Uh, his chin looked a little bit worse because he was getting affected, but he's always been someone that can get affected uh, by, by big shots, even though his chin's like, like granite. Yo, also, Jalen Turner made weight. The fuck is that guy on? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's fucking nuts. Like, all the weight things we were mentioning... I guess if you only look at the matchup and disregard any context, then we could have done the analysis for the f- the fights. But you have to think about it like before the, you actually see it, because how many fights do we think? Oh yeah, but like the matchup works, even though the size difference, and then it just matters so much, you know. So Sean Brady's chilling. Uh, Clay Guida got decisioned by Joaquin Silva. The fight was pretty good. It was a fucking war. Yeah, you you cannot uh, like take Clay Guida out of a fight unless you just end the fight. Because otherwise, he's going to keep coming at you. He's got that dog. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he's still got crazy recovery and conditioning. Nearly got knocked the fuck out by an uppercut in, what, like the first round? Yeah, and he landed a big-ass counter overhand at a certain point uh, and, and hurt Joaquin Silva. So he was landing his own good shots. It was the, the most showcase that Clay's striking has been in forever. If people sleep on that Clay Guida overhand right. I mean, he, he like bopped up Michael Johnson with that, too. Yeah, and it was a counter overhand right. Like he he fucking set that shit up. He, he drew him in, and then slipped off to the side and blasted a right hand in a fucking. He's just not someone that's very good at following up on hurting someone, and they go to the ground. Well, I mean, all, all this, you know, even in his prime, he had the Roger Huerta fight where he would like nearly knocked the guy out and then ended up in a scramble and got submitted. <laughs> yeah, that tr- that too, that too. Uh, uh, Soriano. Uh, he's he's cooked, dude. I just like it's a shame. You you know he had those couple of fights where you're looking at him and you're like, man, this guy is fucking athletic. He's sharp. He can kind of wrestle okay. Like, he's really fast. He's a good counter puncher. And then you know, again. Like beat up by Brandon Allen and getting finished by Roman Kopilov. Not 
certainly not the worst looks ever, but just getting absolutely out hustled and finished by Dustin Stoltzfus, my dude. I mean, good on Dustin Stoltzfus, because the dude clearly fucking tries his best, and he's just, like, not athletic. It was kind of like Mearshart versus Bruno Silva, where the really explosive guy just gets completely outcrafted on the feet. Yeah, by a guy that's traditionally known as not a very good striker. By a by a slow guy who grapples. Yeah, yeah. Dustin Stoltz, his knee teep was completely undoing any of uh, any like momentum Soriano started to gain, and he hit him with his own sharp counters. And the the stance matchup was really bothering Soriano. Uh, and then you know once they got to the ground, it was just just he was absolutely fucked well, i mean puna got suplexed like multiple times because just every time they got into a clinch situation he'd just give up the railway cinch i'd i'd know what's going on with that dude yeah i think it's a definite combination of soriano being a bit cooked and stoltzfus being very matchup dependent and if you give him a good fight he'll look really good yeah i mean if you give him a guy who's just like completely in the mist yeah and, and tactically useless uh like absolutely no adaptability whatsoever unless he's landing dustin stoltz he's just he's slow he's not that strong he's not that durable but he actually fucking tries really hard to win the whole time <laughs> yeah puna Punahele's always been a bit of a vibes fighter where yeah. if he's in a vibe to go maraud and beat the shit out of you then he'll look like a really good pressure fighter yeah i know it's just like you look at this fight and you're like how is this the guy who just walked down and destroyed dushko todorovic yeah uh and then before this julia avila has absolutely horrible hips and is a bad grappler and mr tate is a good grappler that is very strong Misha Tate looked good, dude. She absolutely shit stomped Julia Avila. Yeah, she'd get hit really hard like three times on the feet and then be like, we're not striking anymore. She'd just get a takedown so easily and spend the whole round on Avila's back just doing like the grimiest fucking like catch wrestling shit ever, just making Julia Avila's life fucking miserable. And then the submission was nasty as well because it it was a rear naked choke where, like, the wrist was across Avila's open mouth. Honestly, looked like it might have done some serious damage to her jaw. This is filthy. Good for Misha Tate getting it done at this point in her career. Um, you know, not even just getting it done, going out and getting an absolutely dominant shit stomping like that, this. That was one of the best performances of her career. And she's, she's passed it. It was two 10 8s and then a finish in the third round easily. Yeah, so impressive as hell. I just wasn't expecting her to look that good. But if I had known she was going to look good, I would have picked her. Because <laughs> Julie Apple looked as good as Julie Apple. Uh, she's just fucked in the matchup if Misha Tate shows up. Yeah. Um, and then we had the weirdest shit ever. Yeah, we're basically going to analyze two fights at once right now. Because this is a whole thing, right? We, we had two slam knockouts in a row. I mean, Christian, how many slam knockouts have you seen in like live fights that you've been watching? I can think uh, of like I can think of like two, like three, maybe. I think about three. Yeah, uh, this is now two out of fourteen of the slam knockouts were on this card. The, or like in the UFC. That's that's absolutely bananas. Um, yes, <laughs> the fact that it's it's dudes that you wouldn't really expect to be doing that kind of stuff. I mean, Cody Brundage. 
uh, a guy who has also been looking extremely in the mist recently for a uh, like six and O prospect who's just like a like noodle submission guy who just oh also Cody Brundage turns out is literally like the best wrestler I've ever seen because <laughs> he fucking he starts the fight by rolling up to Zach Reese throwing a big old kick and falling on on his ass and using it to get an ankle pick this was some fucking Khabib shit dude you know when you watch like old Khabib highlights and you see him you see the shot and you're like how is he gonna get the guy down from that and then he does this 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 was that it was fucking awesome, <laughs> um, and then dude pulls a triangle. Cody Brandage just fucking lifts him in the air and drops him on his head. Um, and the fight before that, um, yeah, Joe Selecki was all over Drakkar close, and then he got swept. Pulls an armbar, and this was one of the most brutal slams I've ever fucking seen. Yeah, the the difference between the slams was actually pretty nice. Um, Zachary's Cody Brundage was just this guy's doing a triangle. Yeah. And then he he just kind of like hosses him. Like that was a, a strength. I'm going to fuck this guy up real quick. And then Drakkar Closes was actually pretty technical because Selecki was going for an arm bar. And normally they teach you whenever you're doing a slam to put someone on the back of their head because it's a lot easier to actually get the knockout. But if you got the horsepower, it's mechanically smarter to slam them sideways because then you're saving yourself from slamming them deeper into the the arm bar because worst case scenario it uh they just kind of are in about the same spot uh but normally you're able to get out of it pretty quickly because people just let go of it if they know it's to be in slam sideways he did not uh normally just letting go of the arm bar is the counter to that uh, situation because you're letting go of it in a good position to hit a stand up and and then defend a takedown from like all fours but he didn't do that. He instead held onto the armbar and just get his fucking head bounced off the floor. And uh, it's one of the most disgusting actual uh, like slam KOs mechanically I've ever seen, even if it's not the most knocked out someone's ever gotten from it. Yeah, it was like pure fucking whiplash straight down onto his shoulder. It was pretty And then nasty. the side of his head bounces so hard that it like lifts his whole body into the air and reverberates it as he's let it let go of the arm and is just kind of soaring through the air back onto the floor like the way he bounced was just ridiculous and Selecki's a good athlete and he's young so like slamming him like that is a pretty fucking difficult task showing that Drakkar close is you know that that's some veteran shit to get out of a slam because he's probably just in sparring being like, hey, I'll slam you, motherfucker. And then people let go of it every time. And then this time he's like, oh, my God, this is what happens if someone doesn't let go of it. Holy fuck. That was cool. It was pretty cool. <laughs> that was pretty cool. And I'm, I'm like, I'm stealing that. OK, so um, Adolfo Bellato and Ijo Potieria had just the stupidest, most light heavyweight fight I've ever seen. One of the best rounds of the year. Yeah, just a dumb fucking war where both guys were just on the brink of being finished all the time. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, then Wellington Terman looked good for a round, like the best he's ever looked, and then Jared Gordon hit him once and uh, made him look ass for a minute and then choked him. So that was that card. It was a crazy good card. Yeah, I mean, even the first prelim with veronica hardy versus jamie lynn horth was actually like kind of a banger and like a 
solid win for Veronica Hardy. It was a decent fight. It was just like it was at the bottom of this card, and who, like who's ever going to talk about that fight? When the fights are this violent, there's actually just like not that much to talk about, and you just get them through really quick because because people just get fucking murdered, and it's like, okay, what do you say about that? Okay, so looking at the card we got coming this weekend, main event Song Yedong versus Chris Gutierrez. Um, so is the thing about this fight is that <clears throat> stylistically, I can see a lot of upside for Chris Gutierrez in this matchup. Um, because you know Song Yedong. He's an absolute fucking force. He's a ridiculous horse. He hits hard as shit. He's just a really dangerous pressure and counter puncher. Um, but he can be kind of Jeremy Stevens. He can be a little bit, you know, he, he really wants to get into range to set his feet to throw big power shots with nice mechanics when he's really planted. And, you know, there's that Kyla Phillips loss floating around there where a guy just uh, kind of moved his feet and put a jab in Yudong's face. There's the thing, Kyla Phillips is like just not as classy a kickboxer or out of fighter as Chris Gutierrez, but he is an insane athlete. Yeah, I th- I think he's just better at abusing like speed hacks, you know. Yeah, whereas Chris Gutierrez, I mean, I I'd, I'd say his speed is certainly his like main athletic attribute. Uh, he's quick on his feet. He also has a great jab, has great kicks, and he has pretty good footwork and ring craft as an outfighter. He he likes to just use his jab and move his feet to put people at an uncomfortable distance where he can just throw long-range pot shots and then they're going to try and chase him down and he has like nice intercepting counters. Uh, he particularly loves that spinning back fist for whatever reason. Um, but he also kind of will pretty routinely put himself on the cage and then he has to just like either do the, oh, I'm going to go this way, no, I'm going to go this way or just try and like bait out a big overcommitted swing that he can duck under and pivot out to... Uh, retake the center of the octagon. Um, so while I can see him for long portions just stranding Yudong on on the end of his jab and not allowing Yudong to get to that distance where he can set up that big shot, like 25 minutes of giving Song Yudong opportunities to track you down and murder you it just kind of seems like you really only have to make one mistake when you when your ass gets put to the cage and you have to guess what song your dong is going to do and just juke it and get the fuck out of the way it seems like a fight that chris gutierrez is going to be looking good in until he just suddenly gets donked and just dies yeah i i get that completely and i think that uh gutierrez has certain upside in the matchup like he's a good low kicker and yudong is really easy to low kick uh like he he's he just plants his feet in a way that makes him not like if someone's kicking his base out or or damaging his base to slow him down because he's very uh he, he covers distance really fucking quickly and if you take out his calves which would be that difficult to do 
then you can get him out. Yeah, Song Yudong also one of the fastest, most explosive kickers at bantamweight. Yeah, that's another thing that could actually cause difficulty for Gutierrez is him just getting kicked in the body and not really being able to like plant himself to throw his own kicks. I think Song's going to beat him to the punch a bunch and probably knock him out in the first couple rounds. Uh, I, I think that uh, I don't even think Gutierrez is going to be given the opportunity to look good, even though the matchup kind of gives him room for it. I think Song is just fast enough uh, and sharp enough early that he's going to make Gutierrez. Unless Gutierrez is incredibly prepared for uh, like a first round onslaught, I don't think he's got the defensive competence to be able to avoid just getting murdered early. And also his counters are good, but they're not the type of counters that I think would dissuade Song. Because most of Corey Sandhagen's ability to outmaneuver Song was he has some of the most ridiculous agility moving side to side and his footwork is really good. He's he's got a better jab than Gutierrez, I would say, and he's a bit longer. Yeah, he's longer than Gutierrez. He's also more durable than Gutierrez and nearly got his fucking head ripped off in that fight. Yeah. And he's more versatile of kickboxer as a whole and his grappling uh so there's just a lot of things that song you don't have to worry about i think cory sandhagen even though it, on paper there's some similarities like i think cory's just enough better than him to where it doesn't really factor in too much if i'm trying to give gutierrez a shot at winning yeah cory was also able to like threaten stuff in clinch transitions and and cut him horribly which was a bit of luck but also it was a nice shot I don't think it uh, it kind of was a little bit of luck. Cutting him that bad is a bit of luck. but There's always elements of luck when it comes to landing the good shots in fights. And, you know, Corey Sandhagen at some point realized, okay, whenever we crash into each other, I can just fucking stick my elbows out. Like, it doesn't have to be that accurate or well-timed. Just whenever we're getting into these collisions, I just got to put something in front of me that he's just going to run into. There is also just the distinct possibility that Chris Gutierrez kind of just gets instantly murdered because he did get dropped in like the first couple of minutes by Pedro Munoz, who is also a dangerous pressure in counterpuncher, but is uh, extremely slow-footed, uh, traditionally much more dog-walkable than Song Yudong. It's actually in a way that he's lost quite a few times at this point. And, like, he kind of just saw Gutierrez come out southpaw because he wanted the most distance possible. So Pedro just was just like, no, not giving you the open stance. Rolled up southpaw, waited Chris, right for Chris Gutierrez to kick once and just blasted him with an overhand left hand and spent pretty much the rest of the round on top of him because it's the other thing, Chris Gutierrez... Hips went on bottom aren't great. He's a good anti-wrestler because he has this long-range style and, you know, he will threaten the things like knees and front kicks that he easily knocked out Frankie Edgar with. Got good frames. Yeah. He's just, he's just hard to track down. You, 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 you got to work to get a good shot on him, but he got destroyed uh, on the ground by Batgirl Denar before he knocked him out in the second round. Just because he missed time to the spinning back fist and gave his back and got suplexed, ended up on bottom. And to his credit, it was in the second round that he was like, no, I just got to land the spinning back fist better and then got the knockout with it. But uh, point being, I don't really think Song Yudong plans on wrestling because it's never really what he does. But I think he's just got a good enough immediate shot takedown to where he could make the fight harder for Gutierrez, especially with him training at Team Alpha Mel. They'll probably be like, hey, dude, just like do a double. Dude can wrestle, clearly. Uh, I think it's more that if he ends up on top of Gutierrez and he's hurt Gutierrez, it's like 
instant death. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I'm going to pick Songy Dong by uh, knockout in the first round because Chris Gutierrez is not a slow starter necessarily, but he's enough of a slow starter to where I think that it, he's, it's a liability in the matchup for him. Yeah, I'm going to pick Song Yudong by a like second round knockout because he's also kind of a slow starter. He he is, uh, but he's a slow starter when it comes to his, his uh, like he he's good at making reads. Like he, he's a pretty smart fighter, but also his uh, like in the first round, as evens out to where he's gonna he th- he'll throw full power in the first round. You know, like he'll go up and try some shit early. So I think that's just gonna work. I'm gonna blast him with a huge overhand or an uppercut, because uh, Gutierrez also kind of ducks a lot if you enter in on him too much, because he likes to be all the way in or all the way out. So, but whenever he's all the way in, it's to duck into the clinch and then hide and then get out of the clinch after landing a strike or two, and then be back at range. So I think Song Yudong could just posture up if, uh, like, say he tries to enter, Chris Gutierrez grabs double collar tie. Song just postures up and like Hoss uppercuts him like twice, some some shit like that. If they just get really close together, I don't see Gutierrez not at least at some point in the fight if it goes long, ending up in bottom mount by just just kind of getting bowled over because he thinks that he's able to to defend with frames in a way that he normally can. Maybe it'll work though. Gutierrez definitely not out of the fight. Certainly not. It's it's just one of those um, you know people talk about a perfect performance fight. It's like yeah, Chris Gutierrez can win this fight if he has the most consistent, disciplined performance of his career and doesn't get dunked once for twenty five minutes. Because it's also extremely unlikely that Chris Gutierrez is going to finish Song Yudong. Well, also unless it's just like a low kick TKO, I guess that, that's what I was thinking. Like he, I feel like people aren't thinking about low kicks enough because people are uh, like the tap topology. The topology stat thing shows that the fan predictions is like 9% of people are picking Chris Gutierrez. That's bullshit. It's like 25-75 or something like that, you know? Like, the low kick TK was live. I wonder what the actual odds are looking like on this one. It's got to be closer than, like, 9%. You know? uh, uh, so, then Anthony Smith's fighting Khalil Roundtree Jr. This fight is, like... You know, so it's Battle of the Lion Hearts, dude. You know, yeah, Khalil Roundtree is uh, spiritually he has the dog in him a lot more, I think. But also, he doesn't like when someone taller than him has pretty okay shot selection. And Anthony Smith is a good jujitsu guy. So yeah, but also Anthony Smith doesn't like explosive people who kick him really hard. So what? yeah, and he doesn't <laughs> like punching down unless it's like really punching down. Like, unless someone's way shorter than him, he doesn't like He also really doesn't like being at reach parity. No. He likes fighting people that are dramatically shorter than him, or guys that are, like, you know, noticeably shorter than him. And I think that uh, Khalil is enough. He's, like, six foot, I think. Uh, Yeah, six foot one. So, enough to where he's not really even going to be at any significant uh, disparity. So Killer Roundtree either knocks him out on the feet or he knocks him out on the feet and then gets submitted. Is my thought. I think he is actually more likely to knock him out on the feet and then get submitted. Uh, low kick TKO is always live here as well. It is. Anthony Smith has looked bad lately and hates being low kicked. Yeah, and also Khalil Roundtree doesn't follow people to the ground when he drops them. 
He doesn't. He normally just soccer kicks them. But also, what if he throws a soccer kick and just like gets his leg grabbed and then, <laughs> then now he's in a bad spot. <laughs> he like he drops him with a huge left hook. It looks like Anthony Smith is limp unconscious. He goes to soccer kick the body. He ends up with his leg grabbed and then all of a sudden Anthony Smith's on his back. Or also, he, he might just get taken down because he has pretty inconsistent takedown defense despite having uh, some good defensive highlights defending takedowns that are really just when he's winning so clearly on the feet that he has no worry of even being grappled. Yeah, and he also kind of has these blind spots in the clinch despite being like the Muay Thai dude. Oh, yeah, and Anthony Smith's got good elbows. He's, he's I mean, him just kneeing Khalil Roundtree. He could drop Khalil. Uh, I wouldn't Certainly. be entirely surprised. He, he's no. got, Anthony Smith's striking is somehow bad, but incredibly underrated. Like he's got good ass moves. He's got a pretty good jab. He kicks hard, and he's patient and a good finisher. If he hurts you, he's kind of like if Donald Cerrone was just worse. He's <laughs> like if Donald Cerrone was a lot worse. <laughs> Ryan Spann made him look like a fucking counter punching god. Mm-hmm. Just one of these weird guys who, if you just look at highlights of, you're like, oh my god, this guy's dangerous. Then you watch some of his fights, and you're like, this is the same guy. I don't. Ah, I don't know what, what to do with this fight. I just, I still want to believe in Khalil Roundtree, and I'm well past believing in Anthony Smith. I think the weird safest pick is Anthony Smith by sub round one. <sighs> or Anthony Smith decision. Because it could just be a long range battle where neither guy really lands anything that much of note, but Smith wins on a jabbing edge and a couple low kicks. Because they're both going to low kick, but. People bring up that Khalil's oh he's got great low kicks. He he low kicked a guy like a guy that's bad. Like Eric, Eric Anders, I guess it's a little uh, reductive to just call him bad, but it's not it, reductive to call him a guy though. <laughs> yeah, he he he's a former middleweight that is absolutely ruined in the matchup. Has like no chance in the matchup against a good form Khalil Roundtree. No. <sighs> I, and aside from the Eric Anders fight, he he his one fight behind that two for that were fucking losses. I'm still picking Khalil Roundtree by knockout. That is fair. I want Khalil to win. Uh I'm just I don't know. He he just has so many less fights than Anthony Smith, so I've I've got a better read on when Anthony Smith is gonna break suddenly. <laughs> Like I, it, it was not out of the realm of possibility if, if, if you know, you get the a person that's just really good at making soul reads. They're like, oh, I actually think uh, Anthony Smith is going to have a PTSD episode against Johnny Walker and think that he's fighting the guy that uh, attacked his family. You know, like I feel like if, if you asked his his like a family friend or something, oh yeah, that's the way Anthony could lose. He's a, a strangely mentally volatile fighter. Uh, which covers up the fact that he's kind of rote. Like with his actual shot selection and uh, his, his approach to fights. Tim Elliott is stepping in super short notice to fight Sumadajri. Supposed to be Sumadajri versus Alan Nascimento. Was Tim Elliott just got submitted by Mohamed Makaev. I don't know, dude. Sumidajri is huge and dangerous and uh, not that good and takes his eye off the road. Uh, Tim Elliott's got good RNCs. 
he does, and he always does stuff. Still don't think Tim Elliott's actually ever lost by knockout. So gonna go ahead and pick Tim Elliott. Um Yeah, Tim Elliott by Sunning. Yeah. And by lots of fouls as well. Oh yeah. Uh the the Elseworld pick is Sumadarji by uh like TKO pretty comfortably. I think if Sumadarji wins, it's gonna look like he was always gonna win. But if he loses, it'll look like he's always going to get his ass beat. I'm not again. What if this is one of those ones where he knocks Tim Elliott out and then gets submitted anyway? Very live possibility. Yeah, it could end up looking like a comeback, but in theory, it was more just a bad start for Tim Elliott, and then he wins normally. Uh, we got Nazrat Hakparas versus Jamie Malarkey, which is I don't know who it's mean to because both are kind of doing bad lately. I think this is like pretty good matchmaking, to be honest. I, think I agree. It, I think it should be a banger. I just don't really have anything to say about it. Yeah, uh, they're both having problems as of late. Uh, Jamie Malarkey, it's that he's not a very good athlete, and he's always been inconsistent and knockoutable. And then Nazar Hockbrost, he seems like he's maybe shot, but also he might not be shot at 28. He might just be having a rough go of things and not gotten better for a while. Yeah, he is lightweight Kelvin Gastelum in every way, though, so... Yeah, he really might look good. Who knows? I think if he looks good, or I think if both guys look good, then Nasrat wins comfortably, but if they both look how they normally look, then Jamie Malarkey wins really easily. Yeah, I mean, you know, Nasrat, it's not, it's not like he managed to find a way to lose to that dude off tough. You know, that guy... I don't remember his name. Yeah, yeah, he can he can still win fights. Yeah, um, you know, Jamie Malarkey just kind of keeps getting dunked by people who are way more dynamic than him. Uh, uh, it kind of fought like a mismatch in, in one of his fights. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick Jamie Malarkey because he always tries really hard. You know, he always comes to bang. Yeah. He's he's always in the fight. It's just people who are more athletic than him or just flat, flatly better can just, just push him out of those fights. Nasra Hagpress is a lot more athletic than him, but at least Jamie Malarkey is consistent in a way that Nasra Hagpress isn't. He's always going to run into the same problems in certain matchups, but he's always going to do his thing, you know? Whereas with Nasrat Hakpras, yeah, and Muhammad Naimov is just—it uh, was a weird thing where all of Malarkey's losses in the UFC are just fucking mismatches, except for the Faraz Ziam fight, which is just a rough matchup for a, a, like between two journeymen. Yeah, I'm picking Malarkey by second round finish. I should pick Malarkey by split decision. <laughs> I think it's going to be one of those fights. Um, Andre Muniz is fighting uh, Jung Young Park. Um, I think Andre Muniz is like just confirmed not that good now, and the, the like submitting uh, the distant memory of Jacare Souza and Eric Anders in a cool way kind of didn't really mean anything. He just has that one cool move where he does the armbar off the back. Uh, Jung Young Park, he's really well rounded. And he does things all the time. He's kind of a small middleweight. He's kind of a small middleweight, but he also like can grapple, and he has a jab, and he pressures. 
I think that this is exactly John Young Park's cap as a middleweight. Yeah, but I still I think, think he's going to win uh, really comfortably. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I'm picking him. I think he's going to dog probably him by his finish. Way into, yeah, yeah. I think he's going to wear Andre Muniz out and maybe defend like a single armbar, and then the fight's pretty much over for him, and he's going to win uh, by TKO in like the late second, early third. He's just got a, he's got the dog in him more so than he even has a gas tank. You know, his gas tank's good, but. What's most impressive is how he fights when he's tired. Yeah, and I hope he wins by a finish because I want to see that fucking dance, dude. It's pretty tight. Uh, the rest of the card, there's not much, but we have to mention Tatsuro Tyro because he's a big prospect and for some fucking reason they gave him the second fight on the card. I mean, it, it should be a bit of a mismatch. Uh, it's, it's against a good fighter, but it's a, against a good fighter that uh, he doesn't have the athleticism, really, or a style that's good against this matchup. Like he's his last loss was an RNC against a guy that's worse at Runic Jokes theoretically than Tatsuro Tyra. Yeah, so. I, I just like that they're actually matching Tatsuro Tyra like this because he's a young developing prospect. And in the flyweight division, if he had come in like two years ago and submitted someone like decent like uh CJ Vergara, then they just immediately would have given him like Tim Elliott. Yeah. And he was scheduled to fight David Dvorak, which is also a pretty good um, path to give him, because that's a good fighter that's just doing bad lately. Yeah, and it's a guy who's always kind of hung out on the fringes of the division. Uh, you know. But we were in a situation even just a couple of years ago with Flyweight, where if you came in and you won one fight, and you looked good, and you were in the Flyweight elite, and that was like maybe not good for guys like Brandon Royville. Even though he's getting a title shot now, it just probably wasn't the best thing for him career development-wise. So I just, I like that Tessera Tyre is getting another reasonably well-matched step in the right direction that he should still probably get by pretty comfortably. Uh, pretty good card. It's got a, a nice bit of action on the prelims and then the main cards. Generally, the the best you can hope for for a random a uh, fight night card between two good cards. Yeah, for an Apex card between a big fight night and a big end of year pay per view, this card is this is exactly what uh, an Apex fight night should be. You know, yeah, because the fights are good enough to where I'm not disappointed looking at it. You know, I'm excited for the card. Yeah, and in a way, I like that. You know, people clown on the Apex events and stuff, but I like this main event, and it probably would be pretty hard to sell out an arena with it. So. I'm glad that we're able to get cards like this. It's cool. Yeah. Okay, that's it then. We'll catch you guys next week. We'll recap any neat stuff that happens on this card. And we got the big end of year pay-per-view coming. Uh, Leon Edwards uh, defending the welterweight title against Colby Covington for some fucking reason. And uh, Alessandro Pantoja is taking on aforementioned Brandon Royval in a title rematch. Should be a banger card. We'll catch you guys then. Peace. Later. Later.